Today is Wednesday, January 7th. This is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat here on MMAfighting.com. Welcome. My name is Luke Thomas. I am, uh, I don't know, I'm a dude who writes on the site. Um, today on the docket, lot to talk about, I suppose. John Jones, um, where do you start, where do you end? Retains his UFC light heavyweight title at UFC 182 by defeating Daniel Cormier via unanimous decision. Looked pretty dominant for the most part doing it. And then on Tuesday night, it is revealed that uh, on December 4th, he had failed a, well, tested positive anyway, for a for cocaine metabolites um, about a month before the fight. And the commission knew on the 23rd, there's all kinds of questions about what happened and why it happened. And we're going to get to hopefully many of them. Uh, also, general UFC 182 results, a lot of changes in the, or I should say one major change in the upcoming Fight Night card, not this weekend, but the following, with uh, Eddie Alvarez out, Donald Cerrone in. So we'll get to some of that as well. But I suspect that a lot of your questions are going to be about John Jones, so we'll do our best to get to those. You can tweet me at SBN Luke Thomas. You may also email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. Um, with that, oh, uh, comments on MMA fighting that turn green get priority but not exclusivity. And, uh, oh, if you're watching this now, please be sure to let folks know you're watching. Get on any form of social media that you enjoy and let folks know that you're watching this lovely program. Okay? That'd be great. Um, with that said, I guess let's just kick things off with what they're going to kick off with. I suspect we'll get to all the requisite issues. Uh, says, nowadays it's rare to see Dana attend and stay for the whole post-fight press conference, but he did this time at UFC 182, yet no MMA media member asked Dana questions regarding Fight Pass security concerns, the lawsuit pay-per-view pricing, can you confirm or deny if UFC Brass has outright told MMA media to only ask questions relating to the event and not anything else? I have not heard that. I know that they asked him a bunch of those questions related to um, the pre-fight scrum. So they did get to some of that, the pre-fight scrum, but not, I mean, they haven't told anybody to stop asking. But you have to understand, you run into these people all the time, right? Like, if you're going to get someone to talk about these things, it's going to have to be either off the record or anonymous because if you go to these like public uh, venues and you say hey I want to talk about the fighter lawsuit they're just not going to talk about them like you guys think that this is some sort of like court where you're deposing somebody or cross-examining them on the witness stand or some judge is going to force them to say you know what they swear to be the truth the only, uh, you know the truth nothing but the truth and all that good stuff uh, it doesn't work that way they have all the right in the world to deny it so you you know, I'm not saying that, that these are inquiries that are deserving to be followed, but if you think you're going to go there and have a Jerry Maguire moment at a post-fight press conference, you're just delusional. The, the, the world does not work that way. You have to do, you know, part of journalistic work is slightly detective work in that way. Um, going to these grand press conferences, you can try. They're just, gonna, they're just not going to tell you anything. It's a waste of everyone's time. The way to do that is either add a scrum, which he did not have a post-fight scrum that, I, that I'm aware of. He had a pre-fight one, and they did ask him there. But really, the best thing to do would be asking other people in the organization who are willing to speak on the condition of anonymity, or even on the record. But if you think you're just going to go to a post-fight press conference and be like, well, these MMA media losers won't ask the tough questions, try it. See what happens. You'll get no further than anybody else. 
Cowboys Jiu-Jitsu. I'm sure we'll get to John Jones here in a moment. It might not be the most technical, but does Cerrone have the most fun Jiu-Jitsu in MMA? Jiu-Jitsu is spelled wrong. He locked up Jury's shoulder, Jury's shoulder in a heartbeat. Also, how do you see the fight against Bendo going? Well, I don't know why you would think that his Jiu-Jitsu is not technical. I don't know what would lead you to believe that it would be not technical. It's actually very technical. Uh, whether or not it translates into sport jiu-jitsu in some capacity, I don't know. And whether or not he has built up a jiu-jitsu arsenal at the defense, or I, I should say at the expense of other things, which I think he has, is also a debate you can have. But his jiu-jitsu outright is quite good, quite technical. In fact, if you watch the Monday Morning Analyst that I put out on Monday, sort of explain that the way in which that Omoplata was able to have some success... I mean, he didn't finish the Plata, but the way in which he was able to eventually transition to a better position was that if you have someone doing the Plata, I mean, you can just throw out the Ben Saunders, Chris Heatherly thing, because it matters. It's just so irrelevant to, to high-level grappling. But um, against someone good, if they're on their knees and even on their stomach to an extent, it can be hard to finish them. You have to get them to a hip on an angle. Uh, and he did that by moving, not like this, but by like this, keeping the shoulder lock up here and then moving his hips to the side and then pulling his other side of the hip over onto his side. And that creates some problems and it forced Jury into an escape, but that wound up putting him back in side control. So it was it was a, a great move by Donald Cerrone. And then I also mentioned Donald Cerrone's guard is incredible for the following reason, that uh, you know in contrast to Mats Nielsen, who was sort of regarded as having this great nogi game, and he does... You know, he used a high guard where you sort of climb up someone slowly and you sort of wait to entrap them. And you can do that with the gi, you know, and you can even do that no gi jiu-jitsu to an extent. It's really hard to do in MMA. It's just very, very hard to do in MMA. You have to have either a great top game, a great sweep game, or in Don Cerrone's case, where you're really, you know, lightning fast throwing up triangles or lightning fast throwing in omoplatas and securing things right away. Because if you're just going to climb up someone, it's so hard to do it in the no gi context, especially when you can take punches to the face. It's just difficult. So that would be the, the assessment that I have of Don Cerrone. But if there's some sort of like impression that his jiu-jitsu is not technical, let me correct it right away. It is very technical. Oh, and how do I see the fight with Bendo going? Not that great. Um, for me, oh, if not that great for Cerrone, I suppose. I mean, th you know, MMA is crazy. Lots of different... Let me just make sure I'm not, you know, zoomed in on you all here. Yeah. MMA's crazy. There's a lot of different variables and things that can happen. You guys know that as well as I do. And if you go back and watch the first fight, I don't know how, how much you can take with it. second fight seems to me maybe probably closer to the, what we're going to get on the third time out. Um, remember, the first two times were in a WEC cage. Now we're in a UFC cage. I don't know if they plan on using the smaller one or not, but if they use the regular size octagon, there's going to be a little more room for them. But the way in which Bendo won the second one was sort of pushing him against the fence, and then forcing him into grappling exchanges, even along the fence, where he was always one step ahead. So he got behind him, and then Don Cerrone wasn't hand fighting, so what did Cerrone do? He tried to dig an underhook, and then when he dug the underhook, he got turned. But when he got turned, he had the whole right side of his body blocked, so he got hit with a trip. When he got hit with a trip, Bendo tried to move into mount. When he tried to move into mount, Cerrone snuck in the left knee. But when he snuck in the left knee, uh, um... Cerrone tried to pull some sort of version of like a deep half, and when he did that, he took a beating. And then when he tried to get up and reverse the position, he got guillotined. So he was always sort of reacting to what Bendo was doing, and as a consequence, when you're when you're playing catch up and grappling like that, you're you're gonna if someone's good, and you know Ben Henderson's quite good, obviously, you're gonna you're gonna pay for it. So the key for me is he needs to have separation, some kind. It doesn't have to be that like huge separation, like. They're kickboxing range all the time, but if he's getting pressed against the fence, he's just going to lose. 
Um, I, I think Bendo is overall obviously a much better wrestler, probably a better grappler, at least when it comes to submission defense and whatnot. I know their first fight was great, second fight was pretty quick, so for me that's going to be the issue. If he lets Ben Henderson push him around and dictate how, where the fight takes place and on what terms, so against the fence and he's you know fighting off grappling exchanges, you know eventually if you're playing catch up the whole time, the other person wins. Uh, okay. So here we go to move into John Jones. Someone says correlation doesn't imply causation, or maybe it does. With the recent news of Jones testing positive for cocaine metabolites via out-of-competition testing, is it suspect for the UFC to scrap out-of-competition drug testing altogether? It can't just be coincidence, right? I mean, why should the UFC bother with out-of-competition drug testing if it's going to implicate their stars and shed the UFC in a bad light? It's a no-win for the UFC to have out-of-competition drug testing, whether or not they have true intents to clean up the sport, which is only to the benefit of having blah, blah, blah. This is a problem because I don't know how much you want to speculate without getting the UFC side of the story. Now, we know on January 1st, what did they say? That they were going to scrap it in the sense that they had presented it, which was having a third-party agency take care of it. Now what they're saying is, they're going to get rid of that program, but then use the money to funnel into commission testing. So it's not entirely true that they were going to get rid of all out-of-competition testing. What they want to do is sort of work through commissions. Now, there's all kinds of problems with that. As you know, this story illustrates them, I mean, any number of ways in which that, that alternative is not in any way an improvement. But it's not true that they altogether just said, F it, we're going to go back to what we were doing before, which was just show up on fight night and maybe get randomly screened. They're still putting in some measure of money. Second, UFC just refuses to comment on this. Now, this is where I would say that we can't just let the story go because they refuse to comment. I understand why they refuse to comment, or at least not refuse, but they only issued that minimal amount of comment. Um, and, you know, if you read the article by Lance Pugmire of the LA Times, that's, they said that was the totality of what they had to offer about the story. That's insufficient to me. There are a lot of questions that need to be answered here. Um, certainly, the timing does not look good. Uh, what it all means, it's really hard to say. The funny part about it is the timing looks bad for them. It, 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 certainly at a minimum, um, you know, the results come back on the 23rd. By the first they announce they're not doing that kind of out-of-program testing anymore or that third-party program testing that they had initially suggested they were going to try and, uh, and then moved on to where we have the fight and then the post-fight results. So here's the thing I'll be wondering. If they're still going to give the money to the commission, wouldn't Jones have tested positive anyway, at least in the manner in which they were doing it? Now, you can question about why they were testing for street drugs if it's out of competition, and we can get to that debate in, in just a minute, but I certainly find the timing of the, all the announcements to be weird, and I have a thousand more questions, and I certainly intend on getting answers to them one way or the other, but I hesitate to speculate without proper information because that's just be irresponsible. But certainly you're able to draw some conclusions, I think, if you want, at least some minimal ones. But the question I would have is, if what they said is true, which is we're not going to do that program anymore, we're just going to put money into the commissions. Um, this test was ordered by the NSAC, the one that got John Jones. So he would have been caught with that anyway, assuming they, again, had done the same test that they did. And whether they should have is irrelevant, but they did. Um, so he probably would have been caught too, but I admit it's just sort of all weird, isn't it? That, you know, oh, we're just going to get rid of this program, and then you have this sort of like bizarre situation that happens. Um, maybe the UFC has some excul uh, exculpatory responses, and if they do, then those deserve to be heard. Uh, again, they pitched it on the Kung Lee thing, but the Kung Lee thing for me never made sense because 
handing those responsibilities over to USADA, for example, while not a perfect solution, would have solved for what the issues that they had were, which were how the test was collected and the samples, so the samples were collected and, and then the samples were tested and what laboratory, all, all those things would have been solved with the third party testing. Moreover, when they go internationally, they still have to do their own regulation. It's not like that stops all of a sudden. So I didn't understand that to be the case either, but I'm not sure that this case changes things either because I think he still would have been caught in the same way. If the UFC say, we'll just give the money back to commissions to do their own enhanced testing at their discretion, well, Nevada ordered this test. So he would have been caught anyway. I don't know. The answer is I don't know. And it doesn't... This is why... The, here's what I'll say definitively. The UFC response of saying, we've given you the totality of our comment on the situation is simply insufficient and it simply should not stand. I don't mean to be like belligerent or difficult or adversarial, but the, the, there are way too many questions that have that, that reasonably the public I think has a right to know. Forget about us, the public, the fans. That this is not you know if you're committed to transparency and testing, there, there's more that has to be answered here, and they say they are, and and I'm sure in some level they believe them. I've, I you know and 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 the, the the motive is sincere, but if you're if you really are committed to transparency. I, simply issuing the, the statement they did about Jones and then saying we're done with the totality of our comment to me is um, not an acceptable way to go forward. There, there, there are more questions that have to be asked and there are answers that have to be given. And maybe if uh, they give all the answers they have to give, maybe Lawrence Epstein gives them instead of Dana or Lorenzo or something like that. Um, that's fine, but we, we, need some, we need some responses here. There's just a lack of information and we can't quite piece together what is happening here as a consequence. And for an organization and a brand that is sort of stepping in a new direction and it has articulated on numerous times commitments to transparency, this is a minimum that they should be providing. Um, do you think the Jones-DC fight gives up a clear line in the difference between MMA wrestling and mat wrestling? I mean, I don't know who didn't understand there was a difference before. Like, is there parterre in MMA wrestling? Not, not really. Um, some of the ways you score in freestyle are push-outs, takedowns matter, high-amplitude throws count for more points. There's a huge difference. You're always bent over at the waist because you're guarding your ankles, knees, hips, and and everything else. Um, it's just incredibly different. Plus, if you're, you know, if you're against, there's a fence. I mean, yeah, there's a lot different. The, the two kinds of forms of wrestling that are, you know, I don't know if they're equally difficult, but, um, you know, have their own version of mastery. And one carries over really well into the other. One does not. I don't think MMA wrestling would carry over very far into re real wrestling. But real wrestling carries over pretty far into, into MMA wrestling. But one's not superior to the other. One sort of like, well, I would actually say real wrestling is superior to, uh, to MMA wrestling because you can pick up one faster. And it's more comprehensive. Uh, and one, if you've learned it as long as someone like Daniel Cormier has, you have incredible base and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know that this was a distinction that was law. I mean, who was confused about this? I guess some people were. I don't know. I guess some people, I don't, I don't mean to be condescending. I guess some people actually were, were like, you know, if an Olympic wrestler says he's going to take you down. I mean, there's plenty of Olympians who've come into MMA. Now, maybe not quite as experienced in the overall fight game as Daniel Cormier, but certainly in the wrestling game had been more credentialed and had all kinds of difficulty. If someone's standing straight up, it's going to be a lot easier to take them down. If someone's standing straight up and pressed against the fence and tired, it's going to be a lot easier to take them down than if they're bent over at the waist with shoes on. Um, it's, it's, this is not an entirely difficult subject to wrap your head around.
Luke, DC said he was surprised at how big John Jones was after the fight. Chell said the same thing. They see him weeks leading up to the fight, but they are still shocked by how big he is. Jones says he is not that big a 205, or how can both sides be right? Because when you see Jones walking around, he looks big and he looks lanky, but until he's using it against you, you don't get an accurate feel for it. Because until he's pushing off of his ankle and the, and the force of the punch is driving up through his legs, into his hips, into his shoulders, and then into his fists, when all that length is used, and when he's wrapping his hands around you, until you really feel that, you just don't get an appreciation for it. If you just see him walking down the street, he doesn't, he doesn't look like George Mirasan or, or Yao Ming or something. He's tall and he's long, but he's not, you know, some gangly freak or something. But once he begins to put it all together in a full range of motion, that's when you're like, uh, this is not exactly what I had anticipated. What if Jones tests positive again on the test they take before or after the fight? How will that change things? Well, that would be a much different situation because I had this debate, or a debate, a discussion, whatever you want to call it, these tweets back and forth with people on Twitter saying, well, is it cocaine a PED? Doesn't it help you lose weight? It's like, it's like people, people. Cocaine helps you lose weight um, in the most unhealthiest of ways. The idea that you can like supplement elite world-class training with just a good old dose of coke and that's your secret to making middleweight is the most asinine thing you could possibly say. If not that, it's, it's up there in contention. It's just ridiculous. The problem with cocaine is not out of competition, which is why WADA doesn't give an F about it. It's in competition is that it can distort perspective, it can cause all kinds of health problems, Len Bias being an example of one of them. It's quite different from marijuana in all kinds of ways, not least of which is the health consequences, both immediate and long term. It's pharmacologically addicting, which marijuana is not. And so, you know, it can cause heart palpitations, strokes, um, any number of different problems that other drugs can't, and in close proximity, that's the problem. I saw baseball writers being like, isn't Coke a PED? And that's why I read the articles, and the point was that these guys would snort up Coke before going onto the field. Well, that's different. That's different. That's why WADA has listed in competition, you can't be doing that. It can create all kinds of problems. And certain sort of, uh, it can, even the euphoria effects alone can create for a destabilized sense of self. So on those terms, yes, but if you're sitting here arguing like, well, <laughs> uh, he was using coke, he said he made a lot heavyweight easy, maybe this is the Mike Dolce secret to cutting weight, it's like, just shut down your Twitter for life, please. Yeah, uh, anyway, so if he pops, uh, all kinds of things could happen. T the, the result could be overturned. He could be stripped of his title. He could have his license put in jeopardy. Already, when he goes back for a license renewal, I'm sure this is going to come up, which is partly, you know, if he has a real addiction problem, um, you know, that's, that's probably why he's seeking out rehab. But if he doesn't have an addiction problem, and this is part of a PR move, which I'm not opposed to, it's the world we live in, um, you know, then this will be beneficial to him when he goes for a license renewal. Uh, let's see, someone asked the same question again about the out-of-competition thing. <laughs> someone asked this, and I'm going to work backwards. This is a, this is a uh, sarcastic question, but it's important. 
How is it possible that John Jones could be the greatest MMA fighter alive if I personally just don't like him? Surely my biased opinions about his life and actions outside his record-breaking UFC career achievements must weigh heavily on his legacy. Funny question here from McKinley Noble, who is the uh, rankings police guy. Uh, UFC rankings police guy. Let me say something about this whole issue since no one's really gotten to it yet. People have been wondering, like, oh, is Luke going to get on this live chat and just defend John Jones? No matter what, he's going to defend John Jones. I'm actually not going to do that. Here's the first, like, real criticism I'm going to make of John Jones. And I think it's an important one to make. In fact, I think it's the only one you can make. I do not care about his recreational drug use. And I'm sorry, you may not believe it to be true, but it is. There is such a thing as recreational drug use. Not all drug use is problematic. I'm sorry to tell you it's not. Some drug use is problematic. I certainly don't advise drug use outright, but the facts show, ample studies show, that a healthy number of people are able to use drugs and stop using drugs without any kind of other sort of real adverse effect. It's, it's the truth, okay? If he's using drugs recreationally, I don't care. How many of you watching this live chat have used coke before? Do you think this is just some exchange between a bunch of people who've never done anything wrong in their lives? I don't think that it is. I think a lot of you out there have probably done coke in some capacity or some other illicit drug that you weren't supposed to. Has your life fallen to pieces? No, it hasn't. And I know many people, many people. I know a systems engineer at Goldman Sachs. I know a guy who did two tours in Iraq as an army ranger, a good buddy of mine. These guys had DUIs. And these guys used coke. And these guys have done any number of really questionable or outright despicable things. I have done things I am deeply and uh, profoundly ashamed of. Life is impossible to navigate without hitting those landmines. You will not escape it cleanly. It just doesn't work that way. And you probably have friends just like that. John Jones is a young guy who grew up in front of us and is making mistakes in real time. And on that level, I don't care about any of this. But, and it's a big but, the problem is my friends and to what extent I've made mistakes, we were able to do this out of the public spotlight. We were in college or just out of college or whenever it took place in your life. Now John Jones gets on here, and I don't care about what he says about being a Christian or being a leader. Again, these are things that are utterly irrelevant to things that matter. Oh, he's a Christian and he's been a hypocrite. Most young men are effing idiots and hypocrites. Who cares? You think he's exclusive in that way? The difference is, John Jones has aligned himself with brands. John Jones has stated explicit athletic goals where millions of dollars are at stake. And you look back at the course of his life and you say, all the things you've done, John, are forgivable, but you are on a different path. You do not get the luxury of being a young man, anonymous, who gets to make mistakes when no one is looking, and then when you get older and more mature, you figure it out. You don't have that luxury. You do not get to have your cake and eat it too. 
I understand all the things that he wants to do. There's pretty women around. He wants them around him. Oh, the horror. Oh, he has a fiance. Yeah, he's the first guy in history to cheat, or allegedly cheat, or whatever it is. Oh, he wants to do illicit drugs at a party. Never seen that before. These are all behavior that are entirely consistent with idiotic young men. But the problem for John Jones is that if you want to do the things you say you want to do, and you want to be involved with a company of people that you want to be involved with, the Reeboks of the world, the Ultimate Fighting Championships of the world, and Monster Beats and everything else, you don't have that luxury. And when you examine the course of his life, certainly I think his children are probably a blessing to him, but if you look at the way his life panned out, he didn't quite interact on a thought-out plan of family planning. I think that's a fair way to put it. And then he has the DUI, and then he has this issue where he's recreationally using coke. You know, it's like, dude, if you can get away with it, you know, <laughs> all right, more power to you. But you don't have the luxury of getting to be a young man and then also getting to do all those other things. You need to make a choice. Either you're going to get it together or you're not going to get it together. And that, to me, is the criticism of John Jones. If he wants all that accolades and if he wants to be aligned with these major brands and if he wants to do things in the sport that he says are important to him, then he has to make a choice about what's important to him. Because the way he's doing it now, you have to question his ability to manage his life properly. Insofar as it's related to his goals. I don't think he's, now if he has a real addiction, then that, that changes the debate entirely. But I'm saying if, if it's recreational drug use, I don't care about that in and of itself. What I care about is you can't really do those things and accomplish the things and be the person you say you want to be. And reach goals in the sport that you say you want to reach. It's just not possible. There are a number of red flags about his ability to manage his own affairs properly. Not because he's doing anything so far outlandish of what the average American male does at his age. No. But the average American male is just average. They aren't vying for the title of the best fighter to ever walk the planet in a corporate American space. So that, to me, is the challenge to John Jones. It is not that he used coke. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Again, out of competition. And competition's different. But if it's just out of competition, and it's not really addiction, I don't give an F. And neither should you, because it's not relevant to your life. It's barely relevant to his in that respect. It's relevant to the goals he stated. It's relevant to the responsibilities he has to the brands he is representing. That is the criticism. So either John is going to get it together or he is not. But the way it's going now, <laughs> come on, man. You are making this way harder than it has to be. The criticism of John Jones is his ability to manage his affairs. That is it. Now, going back. John Jones's creative use of reach. Many people mention Jones's reach being an advantage in that he uses it to control the distance. But this is underselling his creativity. He utilizes his reach in so many ways. Many people throw strikes after faking a takedown, but only Jones can have one hand on a knee tap and the other simultaneously throwing an overhand left. And there's a gift where he has a right hand on Cormier's knee and he's throwing a left over the top. You have to see it. Uh, my favorite would be 
the knee tap he does where it looks like a double and then he just comes over and the arm looks like a club, the one he hit on Chael Sonnen, it almost clubs you to the ground. Or how he can have a front headlock and then do an inside trip. Uh, now we saw Moraga do that, but Moraga's also kind of lengthy for the weight class. So that those are two examples to me that uh, kind of stick out. Someone's saying, I doubt this is how he was using it, but how can you not think that cocaine use can be for training should be classified as a PED? Gentlemen, are you going to tweet me this stuff or are you just going to look up the science on it? Do you think that WADA is just confused about what's happening here? That they're just ignoring a body of research about what cocaine does to you and whether or not it has performance enhancing drug effects? There is ample research, ample research that shows it is not a performance-enhancing drug in the development and training process. Perhaps on fight night, 12 hours out, which is why it's banned there, which I'm entirely okay with, but in the out of competition, there's a reason why it fits a distinction. And you ask yourself, well, why would WADA make a distinction? Because they're not vice cops. They're only interested in policing things that enhance an athlete's performance unfairly. They're not interested in whether you did a bump at a party. They're not interested in whether you had a good time at a strip club. It's not relevant. Moreover, it is logistically more burdensome to police that and expensive. It's already expensive to do the kind of work they're going to do. They're only concerned about the things that enhance your performance during competition, which are things that are applied year-round, because some things are both banned in and out of competition, say steroids, human growth hormone, and some things are only banned in competition like cocaine use, because there's really no evidence to suggest out of competition it has any F all to do with how you perform. With Jones entering rehab, do you think making Gus and Rumble an interim title fight is the right thing to do? This is pretty much the ideal situation in which an interim title is necessary and what they were made for in the first place. I don't think drug treatments last very long, uh, and as a consequence, I would not suspect that that would be needed. Comparing Silva, Jones, and GSP's resumes, you've often said that you believe GSP had the superior resume to Silva since GSP had beaten three generations of welterweights. I agree, yes. Um, Ariel, and I think many others, believe Jones clearly has a superior resume to both Silva and GSP. He's not alone. Where do you stand? Do you share the same sentiments that Jones' resume is superior to both GSP and Jones? How would you rank their resumes? What I would say is, here's the thing. I think you can make a case for GSP. I think you can make a case for Silva. I think you can make a case for Jones. My only real objection to the argument is when you say one guy has clearly pulled ahead of the pack. I think that's where you get a problem because right now they're all kind of right here. And some things might matter more to you. So, for example, some folks might say that if we're going to measure greatness, that is a more expansive thing than just weight class dominance. So you have to take into account Silva moving up and just, you know, pasting a couple of light heavyweights, including one that was a former champion. So that kind of matters. The ability to finish guys, certainly um, GSP did early on, but that kind of faded as time went on. Jones used to stop a fair number of people. That has kind of dissipated a little bit here 
Also, not that he's had not dominated performances, but not the finishes per se. What was the last finish he had? I think Vitor Belfort. I can't remember anymore, but um, you get the idea. So that's another version of dominance. Moreover, you could say, well, he doesn't need to go up a weight class because welterweight is much infinitely more stacked than middleweight. And so you look at the guys that GSP fought in their primes and beat, you'd say that's pretty incredible resumes. Or you could say, well, look, GSP did all that stuff, but he lost to Matt Hughes and he lost to Matt Sarah. Now he got the revenges uh, on those guys, or he got revenge on those guys. But nevertheless, you have to count that in how you build a resume. I'm, I'm open to all these arguments. It's a complicated debate. But I think what it underscores is that there's not one guy standing on the hilltop that's like, man, you just can't even debate it anymore. No, you can debate it. I think with Jones, the fact that he hasn't finished some guys recently, while he has looked dominant and there's there's good reasons for why he hasn't finished them, you have to take that into account. I would also say people, will, you know, I, I think that sometimes people overstate that he beat older guys, but I don't think he beat some of those guys in their prime. Um, I don't think that was a prime showdown. You could be like, oh, you know, you all too recently defeated Machida. That's fine because it was you know, he looked good there, but I, I just think that he has been fading for quite some time. The Machida win, he was that's to me is his best win. I, I think it's incredible. Um, but you know, the golden era of where you have a number of top light heavyweights all rotating in on each other. That's not what Jones had. Jones was doing a lot of paradigm shifting. So I take those wins seriously. I think a lot of the arguments about he just beat a bunch of old guys is overstated. But it's not completely overstated. There is a, a kernel of truth to it. To me, that you have to weigh that in. Of course, all the guys he went through, the Veras, the Matyushenkos, the, the Baders, the Shoguns, the Machitas. I mean, what he's done and Rampage and everything else, it's incredible. So he deserves to be in the course of the conversation. But he hasn't pulled away just yet. He hasn't pulled away just yet. If he beats and stops Gustafson, if he beats and stops Rumble, that might change the debate a little bit. Jones versus DC2. If DC makes his way back to the fight to fight Jones again, what can DC do differently? Can DC make the necessary adjustments to beat Jones? If Jones and DC fought 10 times, how many times do you think Jones will win? I would probably say 10. But go back and ask yourself, okay, so when did Cormier do best and what was he doing? He did best in the second round and he did, again, I talked about this in the Monday Morning Analyst. If you guys aren't watching that podcast, you need to start because it's good, and I and I stand behind my product. But well, it's it's okay. It's not good, but it's getting better. How about that? Um, so when he was in really tight, he lost. Cormier did. And when he was out pretty far, he landed a couple good shots, but mm, for the most part, he was getting outstruck. Let's put it that way. There was a space in the middle, what I call the open clinch, where they were kind of tied up, but not really where Cormier was able to grab a neck or land over the top, and he was able to just do the sort of dirty boxing that he does, or short-range boxing anyway, because it's a combination of both, and he was able to land. But it was when he was out too far or in too tight, he couldn't do a whole lot. And so what you have to ask yourself is, one, can he find a way to keep it in that space a second time? Maybe, but that's a hard argument to make. Or two, can he fundamentally do things to change the equation on the outside or deep on the inside? And there, I don't, I don't see a strong argument either. Something that Jones does not get credit for that I mentioned again on the, on the Monday Morning Analyst podcast was his ability to make adjustments between rounds. May, Mayweather is the best at this because his fights, he doesn't have big power. And he has really, he's really strong defensively, so his fights typically always go the distance. Just you know, some examples that aren't true of that. You know, I think he stopped Hatton, but recently anyway, um, they they all go the distance for the most part. So. 
you can see him round over round making these adjustments. It's kind of incredible in that way. And he takes away everything you give to him early. John Jones does that too. Maybe not quite to the same extent because he's not as defensively minded. He takes a little more risks about what he does and when he competes. But go back and look at how he changed the clinch in short range on Cormier. First of all, he made it more short range. Deeper underhooks, tighter. And then on this left hand, controlling the right hand of Cormier, the wrist control. He, I mean, he shut him down with that. Left him with nothing. Once he closed it out, he couldn't really throw a knee because you were too close hip to hip. He couldn't get his arm free. There was a lot he was able to take away as that fight went on that I just don't think folks account for. So, listen, I'll never count out Daniel Cormier from anything. I do think that he has an unflappable belief in himself. But at the same time, speaking realistically, it's hard to, to see an environment where he can recreate those things without Jones having some measure of equal adaptation along the way. Cain Velasquez versus John Jones. Who wins and why? I would still say Cain Velasquez. But, you know, what's funny about that was after the Gustafson bout, we were all like, oh, John Jones versus Cain Velasquez. Let's let's hold our horses. And I think now folks are saying, not the craziest debate in the world. I would still favor Cain. I just think his offensive output. Jones sometimes, you know, he kind of took that fifth round off. He'll take a minute or two off in a round where he's like, I don't The problem with the way that Jones wins, and this is a way, again, how do you how do you establish his dominance? How do you define his dominance anyway? Part of the way you def establish and define his dominance is a function of, I think he could have stopped Glover Teixeira before he did, and maybe even to a lesser extent, Daniel Cormier. I think he could have put these guys away. He chooses to fight in a way that is pleasing to him. It's, it's not okay for him simply to win. He has to win in a way where he either sends a message or he can look at it after the fact and take pleasure in it, which is sort of psychopathic to be to be quite frank. But but that's what he does, and as a consequence, he'll either take more risks or he'll put himself at a slight disadvantage relative to his other strengths. It's not like he's going in there, okay, okay, gotta win this fight, and what's my best way to win this fight? Strike on the outside, okay, because that's where I have the biggest advantage. No, okay, I have less of an advantage in the clinch. But I know I'm still better than you there, so I'm going to fight you there. You know, that is a crazy thing to say. But he gets away with it because he's so effing good. Oh my god, there's a really long NSAC question. Um, I'll read some of this. I can't read all of it. Oof. This is a really long question. Okay. Uh, someone's asking, okay, how is weed a performance-enhancing drug then? It's not out of competition again. It's only in competition. Simple solution. Would you want someone fighting while high? I certainly wouldn't. Their reaction time was slow. They're not thinking correctly. People are like, oh, it makes you immune to pain. Yeah, okay. What kind of weed are you smoking? Please. Who are all these people that just eat, they, like... I know many of you out there have done drugs. I know many of you have done coke. I know many of you have smoked weed. Did you feel, uh, maybe on coke you felt like Superman. Did you feel like Superman on weed? Did you? Did you get up and go, geez, I can just go bench press 315 pounds right now, no problem. Stack on three plates on both sides, dog. I'm about to, I'm about to hit some reps. It never happened in your life, man. You probably sat on the couch and ate Fritos and watched Scooby-Doo reruns. It's not, I mean, this idea that this is like, this is the secret, guys. <laughs> You have to smoke Canadian red hair to 
you know. You'll be able to do pull-ups for days. All those CrossFitters, look how high they are. Give me a break. Someone says, I understand the difference between in and out of competition use, but a piss test for weed is a test for out of competition use. It is not. It is not. Here is the problem. You know what's funny about all this? And I tweeted about this yesterday. Uh, this whole thing proves Nick Diaz was right from day one, which I always, I always felt his case was strong. Now I know it to be true. The difference is Jones got a test. or his He fought on January 3rd, right? Saturday. He was tested on December 4th. Now that is a quote-unquote out-of-competition test. What eventually whored Nick Diaz was that he took a test that was on fight night, and so they said, well, because this is an in-competition test, the results count in competition. But his point was always the same. It was always the same. If It's okay to use a urinalysis on some drugs. On some drugs like cocaine, which can be out of your system in two days, Having that kind of test uh, on fight night is a decent window to use, and even that might be flawed, but at least it's a much closer window. For a consistent smoker like Diaz to show up with metabolites that have been, you know, in other words, his body has processed it and is, and at some point and is getting rid of it, and that's what they're detecting, which is the metabolite. That's what a metabolite is. Those could have been from use that was weeks ago when it is utterly irrelevant to anything. Except maybe it helps with like inflammation in joints and things like that, which was no worse than Tylenol. Um, it's absurd. So the point that he was trying to underscore was like, look, if you're going to have a test and you're going to have in-competition tests for in-competition use and out-of-competition tests for out-of-competition use, that's fine, but that's not what you're doing with a urinalysis. A urinalysis with marijuana does not tell you when they used. It only tells you that they used. And his whole point was, unless you can firmly establish on a, on a clear timeline when this happened, your whole fantasy of in-competition is, uh, is irrelevant. And what it shows with John Jones is that the commission does take seriously the difference between in and out of competition use. If you test positive for cocaine out of competition because that test is far more accurate with a urinalysis, there's no consequence. So the question still remains to the Nevada State Athletic Commission, can you prove with a reasonable certainty within a month timeline when you took that test with that urinalysis that he used within that month? And the answer is no. Fact. Not up for debate. Not up for debate. The only way to know is with a blood test. Fact. I don't care what anybody writes. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what any kind of moral preening anyone wants to have. That was Diaz's whole point. If you want to uh, you know, hit me for this, fine. At least get a test that tells you I did it. Don't use a test that doesn't, because I'm telling you I use it out of competition, and you're telling me I use it in competition, and you can't actually scientifically prove that I did. Fact. 
he was right from day one. And the fact that they don't and can't punish John Jones, at least, you know, you know, uh, aside from other parts of the regulation that are catch-all phrases, proves that they take that differentiation seriously. So I like how Dick Diaz was right about this. But, of course, you know, he lost tens of thousands of dollars in the whole process. Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., $900,000, you know, insane. So someone says, the issue here is that the NSAC did or said nothing when they clearly knew that the light heavyweight champion had filled a drug test. Yes, and I'm trying to find out. So, for example, I remember I covered um, Jones versus Teixeira. And if you may recall, the Maryland Commission, which is a bit of a newer commission, they did enhanced testing for that fight, too. Now, what they did was they sent out the results to the media only on a basic level, saying no one tested positive for anything that we were looking for. But they didn't specify anything really specific. Everyone, in other words, what they said was they gave a basic generic answer about everything's good, more or less. But they wouldn't say individual numbers or share individual results about where guys were about certain rates of testosterone and things like that. They just didn't share that information because they, they, I, I'm not exactly sure they, they chose not to. Now, I called um, some commission people in different states looking for answers about what, what the rule is. I'm trying to get a response. When I get one, I will then go back and share it with you guys. I'm trying to understand what the rule is there about why some states share it, why some states don't, why some states hold information like this, and why other states do, or but they could hold it. What allows a commission to take those results and not immediately make them public? That's what I want to know. I want to know exactly what the statute is. Why did the NSAC not say anything? People are saying, uh, you know, I think Kevin Ola had a good article saying, well, listen, if they tried to stop the fight, again, because at the end of the day, if you ask yourself what rule did Jones break, he broke some catch-all rules about, like, not keeping up with societal norms and the code of conduct, because the code of conduct, as it relates to drug use, only speaks directly to um, criminal behavior, which this is not a function of. Um, I mean, cocaine's illegal, but... He, he didn't get, like, arrested, right? I mean, that, it, we're not finding this out because he got pulled over after speeding and they found, you know, a bag in his car or something. So, the, but, the, but the code of conduct, I think, catches him like a catch-all kind of phrase. And I think the Nevada Commission has that same kind of leeway, but on a, on a strict sort of interpretation of it, there's, he didn't really do anything wrong. That's that's the issue here. So why didn't they say it was it because of that reason? But anyway, I only was saying that and arguing, and he's probably right, that if they tried to stop the fight, if the UFC tried to stop the fight, then he could have taken them to court. But my point being is, maybe that's true, maybe that's not, I don't know. I, I, I trust Kevin's reporting. It's usually pretty spot on. But I would say if they had made it public, what kind of public outcry would there have been? That to me is a separate issue. Right? If, the, if it had been made public and all the same facts, listen, we weren't necessarily supposed to test for this, but we did. Uh, it's out of competition. It doesn't really matter for our own purposes. Uh, we took a subsequent test around December 11th or 12th, and he passed. Um, we're going to test him again on fight night. You could have all those factors in play. You mean to tell me there wouldn't be massive outcry about, wait, wait, you got this guy testing positive for coke in his training camp and you're going to let him go and fight how is that how is that possible you know nevada needs big tickets for big dollars they serve the state i keep telling you all this from every time i do this chat 
They are regulators, yes. They are servants of the state. Floyd Mayweather, oh, I have to go to jail. Can you put off my jail sentence so I can bring you all a bunch of money and then I can go to jail? Would that be cool with you guys? Yes, it's cool with us, Floyd, because you bring big dollars. All of this is, is, is it seems to me, potentially relatable information. That, to me, I think is the issue. Is like the commission didn't want out public because the commission wanted to see that event go through. Because I think if, if they knew a guy was doing this, even though you and I can both have an adult conversation about it, I don't know that the public generally can. And I wonder if there had been outcry and the commission was just like, listen, we'll make, we'll make everyone... I, I don't even know if they told the UFC. We still haven't had that confirmed yet. Lance Pugmire could not get on the record when UFC knew and when John Jones knew. Brett Okamoto has reported that standard protocol when you get the results, fighter and promoter are usually you know, immediately informed. But we just don't know about that yet. But we knew the commission knew. We knew the commission knew. And, and uh, you know, not saying anything? Why? I don't know. But I do know if they had said something. To me, the media outcry, I mean, even not media outcry, even fan outcry, would have been enormous. And I think that would have been a bigger issue, too. That, that, that could have tanked the fight as well. King. How big of an impact do you think Kane's injury had on Cormier's performance? I feel like not having him in camp is a huge loss, especially in the cardio department where DC looked weakest. I, I find that's a very curious argument, you know. I'm not saying that not having Kane to the fullest extent didn't matter. I'm sure on some level it mattered. But I would also say, guys, like, you got to give Jones some credit here. You know, how about the body work of Jones? If you notice, like, in two of the articles I posted, I went through Esther Lynn's like photo timeline, there were several hard body shots, straight jabs to the body, uh, liver shots he was throwing, kicks to the body, and then in the clinch just hanging on Daniel Cormier, which is exhausting and, and a horrible, horrible thing to experience. He, he put in the work to make sure DC faded late. He put in the work to make sure DC faded late. Um, I would give him credit for that. I don't think that like... Guys, Daniel Cormier is a world-class athlete and has competed on a world-class level. He knows what world-class training is. Maybe he didn't get the kind of reps and sparring that he wanted, but he didn't go in that fight out of shape. He looked phenomenal. But sorry, if you fight someone who is as good as John Jones, they're going to make you look less than who you are. It's just, it sucks, but that's the way life goes. Hammer fists forgotten in ground and pound. That's a funny question. I've noticed that the use of hammer fists while on top an opponent, whether it be in their guard or in any other position where hammer fists can be used, haven't been used very often as of late. They seem faster to throw than elbows, but less effective. Also, they are usually used at a 12 to 6 angle, meaning sort of straight down, which is illegal for elbows. Pardon me. What are your thoughts on the most effective use of ground and pound is... And if punches like hammer fists will constantly change as the technicality of MMA progresses. Well, to your point, they're just not very effective. I've used them. I've used them. I've seen them used when a guy's really hurt and you just do like dusting them off. You know, like the last bit of things to, you know, um, get the referee to stop the fight. You can see that. You know, if you, if, you, if you crush a guy and he collapses but maybe dives on your legs. And you see guys, you know, do like these donkey Kong hammer fists from way up top. Those hurt. You know, okay, fine. 
but generally speaking, they're just not particularly effective. They're not, they're not worthless, but you have to really have a clear sense about when you can use them. You know, if you get trapped along the fence, they might be good, even then though you can use the elbows. I think people still use them, but if they've used them less, it's to your point, there's a variety of other things you can be doing in that space that is more effective either for controlling it or causing damage. And I think that um, hammer fists can be busy shots to set up other things, but unless you can really get like the full extension on where your hand comes all the way up and then all the way down, you're just not going to get a whole lot out of it. What is your opinion of Herb Dean's officiating in the fifth round of Jones Cormier? Dana has bitched about the fact that Herb Dean let them hug for the entire round. I myself was yelling at the TV for them to separate him. Yeah, I didn't love his fifth round officiating. I, I thought they could have been separated a little bit more. I'm not too hard on him because I know what Herb's thinking. He's trying to think, I don't, like, less is more. Try to be the invisible hand kind of referee. But that was a case for, um, you know, market intervention, as it were. Um, yeah, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more hands-on action there, quite, quite literally. Lots of lots of humor going around. Luke, what did you think about Jones's failed drug test running his legacy? Me, personally, I think it's just another bump in the road. Clever. Luke, do you think it is kind of strange that there are still so many people who say they don't understand why so many don't like John Jones? The guy is a father of three, and his free time has been stalking people online and calling people the N-word. Well, he's black, so I don't care about that. Uh, the F-gay word, that's a problem. Um, Quote-unquote dick rider, and much more. The guy has several times showed that he is a homophobe. I spelled homophobe wrong. And does have a problem with being gay. Jones, has, Jones said a couple of months ago this, that stupid stuff, why well, he doesn't think Bill Cosby did all those things, and laughed about it. The list goes on with so much stupid stuff that he's done, but still people questioning why people don't like him. And Luke, what does it take for you to call out Jones and call him an idiot for things he does? I remember when someone, some people were saying that Jones is afraid of fighting Gustav again. You said things like that is the stupidest thing, because it is the stupidest thing. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about Jones in this capacity for just a second. Number one, I just spent a whole fair amount of time criticizing him. The criticism of John Jones to make is that he has a problem managing his life relative to the things he says he wants to be and do in this life. You know, he has an unrealistic view of what he can get away with. Sorry, you want to be sponsored by Reebok? Maybe you can't be doing coke in your free time, even if it doesn't affect the way you fight. Fact. And maybe if you've, you know, had all these issues managing your life, and particularly with substance abuse, where you had a DUI and now this, dog, you got some problems, man. And I don't know if they're substance abuse issues alone, or maybe they're not, and you're just sort of experimenting and figuring life out. I don't know exactly what they are. I, I, I trust that he can get the help he needs at this place and with other folks around him. Um, it's not my place to sort of like ascertain and then prescribe a solution to that problem, nor could I if I tried. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's enough things going on here where you could say from a general perspective, you got some problems, man. You got some problems. You, you, you want to have a life and you are doing a lot of things that won't allow you to have it. And if, you know, and in the case of the DUI, you could have potentially hurt other people. You got problems, man. You got problems. That to me is the criticism that, that you make of him. But like this idea where like, you know, um, he uses the N word, don't care. He said some anti-gay anti things, okay, no doubt about it, and the Bill Cosby thing. Listen, I'm not telling you John Jones is the most likable person. I'm not. Like he may be, he may be all the things Rashad Evans has said about him. He may be all the things you think about him. My point is, and then this situation kind of complicates it, 
But at least going into Monday, before I knew all of this, and this is, again, I don't really care about the drug use per se, except as it relates to what, you know, being a champion, um, trying to be the best ever, wanting to have a Reebok sponsor. I mean, if I was his friend and he had just signed a Reebok sponsorship and then this comes out, I'd be like, dude, what the F are you doing? You don't get to have a Reebok sponsorship and then do this. It just, life doesn't work that way. You want to have these things? you got to take care of them. There are certain things on your end of the bargain you have to uphold. And listen, I'm sure even George St. Pierre has made mistakes that none of us know about. But at least he made um, enough that we didn't really hear about him. And what those mistakes are, who knows? Could be small. Maybe he hasn't. Maybe he's like as close to perfect as can be. Lord knows I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was the truth. But you get the idea. Like, you're, you're all going to make mistakes. But, dude, this is avoidable. This is avoidable. You are ruining your chance at, at greatness. You are ruining your chance um, at making the kind of money you could make. You are spoiling these gifts. That's got nothing to do with my life about whether I think he's a good person. You think half the fighters you root for are good people? You don't know them. You think you think you haven't rooted for a fighter that maybe in out of competition had used drugs before? I'm sure you have. You have, and by the way, you've probably done it while fist pumping at a bar drinking a beer, which, oh by the way, is also a drug. So like you can stop with all that. And by the way, have I had friends that have said homophobic things? I have. Now, I don't have a whole lot of contact with many of them anymore, but, like, when I grew up in the Marines, <laughs> sorry, I'm not want to throw the Marine Corps under the bus here, but, like, if you think, I was in the Marine Corps from 1998 to 2004, you hear a lot of anti-gay talk back then. A lot. A lot. So we should just, I should just tell all these people that they're horrible people, we should root against them? Or maybe as they matured and they weren't idiotic young men anymore, they grew out of that. You're, you're, you're okay to say that he's a bad person for saying those things. You're okay to not like him. What ultimately gets to me is that I would like to have a conversation about his abilities that didn't have the rest of that bleeding into it. Even people being like, Cormier is going to throw him around. Are you delusional? Are you delusional? The best case you would have was that it was close. That's the best case scenario. The, the vitriol for John Jones dictates every conversation about him. It started long before he gave you any real ammunition. Fact. And three, I'm sick of it bleeding into the rest of the discussion. Like, I made this point on the Monday Morning Analyst. Jones will be in rehab for a time, and he will get out of it, and, and I hope that he tackles this issue. And if he doesn't, then it's his life he's wasting. Okay? If he's got a real problem, then I hope he gets help. But... These guys aren't around for very long. You know, like, you feel this as, as MMA media. These guys, they come and they go a little bit. You know, so, I mean, BJ Penn is gone. Think about that. Like, he's not here anymore. He's not fighting. He's not, like, dead, but he's not fighting anymore. They have a short, 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 short window where they're here. If you want to spend your time while John Jones is here fussing over the fact that he parties like many other young 27-year-old men, in the United States of America, by all means, I encourage you to waste your time. But don't waste mine. I'm not going to waste my time doing that. I'm not going to spend my time while he's here fussing about utterly irrelevant S 
while he is doing the things he's doing in the cage. And if those things he's doing in his personal life wind up affecting him in the cage, then we can say those things. Or if he crosses a real severe line into deep criminality, we have the debate changes. And of course, where you, you know, that, that, that continuum is difficult to draw definitive lines about when is his behavior irrelevant and when does it become um, a factor where you can talk about it. People are like, well, are you, you must love O.J. Simpson. Really, you gotta talk about a double murderer and a guy who stuck up people for memorabilia with guns? Like, this is what you're going to do, or at least how the people do it for him, or whatever the case may be. The double murderer, this is what you, oh, what about War Machine? What about War Machine? When John Jones does stuff like War Machine, we'll have a conversation about it. Until then, doing a bump at a party or whatever it is that he did is irrelevant to me and to anything else. Even the Nevada Commission can't do S about it. Again... I'll change these if, in fact, the, the fight night drug test changes things. If, in fact, he has a real addiction problem. Those change the debate and the equation pretty significantly. But on the facts that we have now, admit you hated him long before any of this was relevant. Admit that you can't have a conversation without bringing it up. And admit some of you need to that you are so blinded by it that it affects the way you look at him. People being like, I, I have someone in the comment thread here. I don't know what you're talking about. His fight IQ is not that great. Are you high? Are you the one who's high? How can you not watch this dude compete and be like, we are in the presence of once-in-a-generation greatness. Oh, he doesn't hold doors for old ladies. If John Jones threw doors in old ladies' faces the way he fights, I would sell ticket to the door slamming. You spend so much of your time fussing over who he is as a person. Maybe he sucks as a person. There you go, everybody. Are you happy? John Jones sucks as a person. There. Got it out of our system. Can we now talk about things that matter? Can we talk about things that matter? If he's got a substance abuse problem, I hope he gets help. If he doesn't, and this is just for PR, I don't care about his personal life. And if you want to spend your time doing that, I feel sorry for you. <sighs> Different question here. Let me answer it. In your Monday Morning Analyst podcast, you described UFC 182 as being structured like a boxing card with one big fight at the top and a lot of filler leading up to it. Paraphrasing, but you get the idea. Wasn't this the exact issue that led to the cancellation of UFC 151 and 176? Has the UFC really learned nothing in the two years since canceling 151 after Hendo's injury? Um, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> they got a million shows to run. And they got a limited roster on which to do it with. And so lining things up in the way that we have asked for, we know they, they've, they've not lowered the number of pay-per-views. Um, I think they're going to have one less show next year, but they're going to have maybe twice as many abroad, something like that. Um, not quite twice as many, maybe, but I think 23 are going to be abroad. They have contractual demands in here to Fox and abroad to various broadcast partners that requires both content and live events depending on the contract I don't know that they've not learned anything but 
they are committed. They're pot committed. Um, so the chips are all in. I, I mean, I don't want to tell you. Like, I'm sure that they're like, you know, biting their nails sometimes about injuries. Who is it? You know, it's a very understandable phenomenon. But at the same time, uh, you know, they got obligations to meet. So the question is, what about those obligations? Not so much about did they learn their lesson or not. What will the fallout from this positive test about John Jones be? How will it affect his career? Uh, hard to say. Also, by the way, being like, oh, John's the best. John Jones is the best ever. What if he does have an addiction? What if he does? What if he has an addiction and he comes back and he can't shake it? And I, I mean, this is a God forbid scenario, but I'm just like articulating a thought. And he loses every fight from here on out. Would he still be the greatest? He wouldn't be. So the point to me is you have to give things time to mature a little bit before you can like definitively declare something like that. Um, how will this fallout and the positive test affect the sport in the UFC? Until we have more information, I don't know. If you were managing John Jones, what advice would you have for him? Man, we would have a serious come to Jesus talk. At some point, you're going to be like, look, either you're going to do these things or I'm just going to stop managing you. You know, if you care about someone in that way, sometimes walking away is the best thing. If, you, if you're like, I'm going to give you every bit of support I can. You tell me exactly what you need. Let's agree to this plan. But if you don't stick to it because you go back to the things you were doing before, I, I simply can't be a part of this process anymore. Um, that's, that would be the advice I would use. But, you know, no one cares about my advice. Um, Fighting-wise, how long should he stay at light heavyweight? He at least has to fight Gustafsson and Rumble, and then we'll see where we'll go from there. Uh, I recognize that Jones beat Cormier in their fight, but I felt round four was the only decisive round. Am I crazy for thinking everyone is slightly overreacting by calling it a thorough domination? No, not really. I don't think it was a thorough domination, but I think it was pretty clear. and uh, Maybe that's a semantic game, but... You go back and look at the stats and you watch the fights, there was just never a moment except for that second round where he was, where Cormier was really like getting the better of him. He was kind of, again, always playing catch-up. Not a huge gap between them, but a consistently kept gap. And that in and of itself is a very difficult thing to maintain in a fight, especially against Daniel Cormier, who, by the way, is amazing. Someone says the mic is messing up. Don't worry if the mic is messing up. I have a backup recording going. And uh, I have a backup recording going and I'll upload that. So if, the, if, the, if this is not good, don't worry about it. When I upload it, you can hear everything. Someone says uh, Dana has said that he is expecting 750000 or more in pay-per-view buys. How do you feel about this? I will say I was wrong about something. So on this chat last week I was like, you know, 600 might be tops, you know, 700 at the absolute peak. I will go back and say I'm not entirely sure how much it's going to do, but I'll say this. If it does a million buys, not that surprising. I think 700 Here's what I'll say for sure. 750,000 buys is very doable. So I'll say last week that I was wrong, and I'll say this week, whatever my predictions were last time, I am definitely going to have to raise them. I, am, I was blown away at, at uh, the Friday night and Saturday night responses and the way in which you measure interest in a, in a, in a fight. 
I think 750,000 is plenty, plenty, plenty doable. How I'm not predicting it'll go to a million. What I'm just saying is, if it does 750,000 or more, shouldn't surprise anybody at this point. In fact, if it does like 500,000, then I would be like shocked. I'd be shocked. So here we go. Anderson Silva defended his title. Actually, let me let me go back to a different one. Connor and Aldo in Dublin. How big of a deal would that fight be? How well do you think it would do? I leave that to the Irish to tell me more than I will tell them. But from what I understand, um, you know, you have to worry about injuries, though. I mean, do you have to sell tickets to that? And then Aldo, who's kind of injury-prone, pulls out. That would be hugely problematic. So that's one thing I'd be concerned about. But assuming he made it all the way to fight night, from what I understand, even Aldo's management would be in favor of the idea. I think it would be huge. I think it would be great for the, for the Irish market, which is already, like, fiending for it. Um, if they could put it on pay-per-view here, that'd be even better. I think there's, it's, again, understanding the risks involved with injury, um, if they can make it happen, it would, it's, it would be huge. I don't think it'd be huge like Jones Cormier huge, but in the, it would be in one of the key pieces of ingredients to getting Conor McGregor to be a bigger star than he is today, which is already a guy on the rise. Like there are moments in a guy's ascension where you're like, okay, this happened in this fight, and it changed things. You know, where guys go like this for a while, and then something happens, and they go like this, and then they go back to this for a while, and it's like a ladder. It'd be one of those key moments where he shot up, you know. Um, let's see. So many questions. Yeah, here's the question about the uh, upping, it, upping the um, pay-per-view buys. Have to, have to. The response to Jones Cormier was overwhelming. And by the way, I wrote about this in my uh, What's at Stake column. You know, Jones and Cormier made it easy on the UFC. I'll give the UFC a little bit of, a little bit of praise here. I, uh, I thought they did an expert job promoting it. Some fights, you know, need a little more hand-holding than others. But I think not having Dana White, and people are like, well, you don't really need Dana White to promote that. I mean, be serious. This is a guy who has, who has the ability to go on any number of different shows and, and promote a fight. Um, it's an addition to a guy, a guy who has 2 million plus Twitter followers. If you had a fight, you'd be like, okay, we got this guy who has 2 million, 2 million Twitter followers. He was willing to go fight week and hustle and do media tours to promote it. You're going to tell me we don't need that guy? Not saying it would obviously do well without him, but like clearly there's a key ingredient they're missing. They didn't really have him to do that in the traditional way that they normally do. Um, for whatever reasons that you want to say, I'm sure it's partly related to the fighter lawsuit, but who knows? He wasn't a big key component to fight promotion. It was really about the guys. I think a lot of fans are appreciated that anyway, no matter what the, the reason was. It worked out. The, 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 the small ads were original, even if they were 30 seconds. Um, they created a special around it. They just did all the things that they needed to do. And part of that is pushing, part of that is pulling, and part of that is knowing when to get out of the way. And they did all three things deftly, and I think that the results speak for themselves. We'll see what the pay-per-view buy rate comes back as, but UFC deserves some credit on that. All right, Pettis versus Dos Anjos. Pettis is an unreal everywhere, in my opinion, but what are the keys of success for Dos Anjos in this matchup? How do you see the fight going? I think he just has to make it where he is doing things that Ben Henderson did to Cerrone in their second fight, making him react to his grappling. Again, Paul Daly is the king of stopping a takedown. He is not the king of creating separation against elite guys. That would be the key for me. You saw that he was able to stop the takedowns with Gilbert Melendez. I don't think Dos Anjos is going to have a whole lot more success, but... If he is, if he can stay on him, 
the, the longer you're at space with Anthony, I mean, Anthony Pettis can wreak havoc, not just in an instant, but in, in the tiniest of windows, physical windows. You shoot in for a takedown, he throws a knee like you never saw. You shoot in for a takedown, he angles off and then clips you with an overhand hook, a la Shogun and OSP. He just finds these moments where he hurts you because you didn't see the punch or, or strike coming, and then you make a bad decision, and then he capitalizes on it. That's really a, a key component to his game. You know, the problem is you have to push him around to win. You can't sort of stand back and let him do his thing. But in being that kind of aggressor to push in on him, you open yourself to these vulnerabilities where he is finding just the narrowest of windows to make all kinds of problems for you. It's, it's, you got to pick your poison with him, man, and it is good luck because you're going to need it fighting him. Uh, Luke, yesterday before the news broke about John Jones filling a drug test for cocaine, Cowboy Cerrone made the comment during an interview, quote, I don't have an answer for you on that one, Cerrone replied. That's probably damaging for sure, talking about weight cutting and close proximity. But so is cocaine and alcohol, so I think this is a little less. He goes, now I know, this is the question again, now I know they both train at Jackson Winklejohn's MMA. Do you think this was a shot across the bow or is it possible substance abuse issues at that gym? I, before we begin to say there's substance abuse issues at that gym or any gym, let's get some more proof, number one. Number two, um, who knows? Cowboy is a wild card. And could it have been related? Maybe. Was it unrelated? Probably just as easily. I don't know. I, I admit it's interesting, but... I think my point is that there's just not enough evidence to conclude one way or the other that this is some sort of like cryptic foreshadowing. Luke, why does weed get you suspended and cocaine seems to be no big deal? Talked about this earlier because the Athletic Commission uses bull ass testing and won't admit to it. That is a fact. And they had yesterday Bob Bennett telling Lance Pugmire, well, this is a bit of an anomaly. Oh, no, it's not, Bob. No, it's not. And you know it's not. It's not an anomaly at all. You did this to some guy already, except you gave him the ass end of the deal. Uh, Kane versus Fedor in their prime. Who wins? Kane, easily. Were Jones and DC compensated fairly? Respected MMA journalist John Nash said on Twitter that Showtime or Spike would guarantee, make guarantees of $10 million for DC versus John Jones if they thought they could get 400k buys. Dana White hinted at a press conference that the fight might go way above 750k buys. Jonathan Stoughton tweeted out that Jones could make an additional 975k with a standard UFC contract. What he's talking about there is the one that is known, you get a certain amount of, for, of dollars for everything above 200,000 and then it's a tiered system. I have to go back and review what it was for like say Randy Couture and other guys like that, but you know, as, you go, as the higher the buys go, the more you get for each buy. I think going by that, remember he did that huge breakdown of a UFC contract and had all those like labor professors weigh in on it and had in fact had UFC comment on it. Um, I'm not sure to what extent he got to the pay-per-view portion of it, but we do have some access to what that is. And I think even through the Alvarez contract. Um, so maybe he's going based on that would have earned him an extra million. Look, guys, <laughs> people always ask about fighter pay. I don't know what to tell you. I think the guys at the high end are probably making a fair amount. Um, but what I would say is we don't live in a space where fighters are able to use maximum leverage for financial gain because they don't act collaboratively. And until such a time, and by the way, based on the responses last night to John Jones on Twitter, that may be never, um, 
we won't know that guys, guys, when you say compensated fairly, all that means is what they're able to negotiate. Um, or, you know, if you want to compare it to what other or, or, uh, sports leagues do. They don't act collaboratively, and so we don't know. It's My, my, my answer is going to always be the same, you know. Even if the UFC has the best of intentions, they're never going to want the things for John that John wants for himself in terms of financial return. That goes for any fighter. They're just, you're not capable. I'm not capable of wanting the things for you that you want. Unless, like, you know, I'm paid to do it, and then we have similar interests. But if I have a different interest than you, or, you know, some similar interests, but some non-overlapping interest, it's going to be difficult for me to recreate a package for you a financial package that you are going to be happy with in the same way that I'd be happy with it thinking that that's what you wanted. Disappearing clock. Luke, why does the UFC take away from the, the clock 10 seconds left in the round? I, I could be wrong with this. My understanding is they want the sole focus to be the last 10, to not miss anything, to make sure that folks are looking at the fighters and not watching a clock. Um, and plus when they give you that sound, you know what 10 seconds are left, but I'm not entirely sure. That, that was my understanding, that you take it away and you sort of like home in on the fight itself, know what know, nothing else was going on. Not that they don't already, but you know, you just remove eye-catching distraction. Um, but I'd have to double check. Can Daniel Cormier make middleweight? I seriously doubt it. I know he looks so much smaller than John Jones, but you guys don't understand how lean John Jones is. He's really lean. Also, Daniel Cormier is not that big. I mean, he was a heavyweight. He was like Fedor in that way. He's not a very big guy. Um, and when you think of a heavyweight guy, you know, Kane a little, little bit different, but Luke, on a scale of one to ten, how frustrated do you think the UFC brass are with John Jones at the minute? I would suspect fairly, fairly frustrated. You know, they just had this, he just signed with Reebok, and this happens. You know, they just did this apparel deal with Reebok. You know, they're trying to put on this fight, and they're trying to do all the things they can do, for the most what we understand anyway. Um, again, they have a lot of questions they need to answer, too. But, in terms of this frustration, yeah, they've got to be like, Jesus Christ, man. This is the criticism to make of John. It's like, John, you are entering into agreements with people, and you are making... You are not upholding them. Just, you're not. Like, they're forget Like, like Prebok could have dropped him. You know, they, they, they didn't, but... You understand what I mean? Like, he's doing these things that he's putting people in positions. Like, in an ideal space, a fighter and a promoter work together, and a fighter and a brand, they work together. And in some ways, John is more than upholding his end of the bargain. In other ways, he is deeply underselling them. That is damaging to his future. It can affect the view of the sport. There's a lot of problems here. There's a lot of problems. But I'm not going to be like, well, John, you know. You didn't give your kids enough Milky Way bars after they lost their teeth by pretending to be the tooth fairy. What kind of father are you? I don't know. True or false? Silver will take McGregor down at least once. Seaver, you mean. Seaver will take McGregor down at least once. Um, probably. He might just pop right back up, though. If Vitor makes it to the fight against Weidman, his best chance of winning would be in the first two rounds, of course. If Jacare puts on an impressive performance against Romero, he is getting leapfrogged uh, over the winner of Rockhold Machida. 
depends how impressive, but I would say yes. Even if Nick Diaz never holds a UFC title, he will always be a needle mover. That's probably true, too. If Kelvin Gastelum beats Tyron Woodley in a dominant way, he would have a case to fight McDonald in a possible title eliminator fight. I feel bad for, for McDonald, and I don't agree, but I'm not saying that won't happen. Look, if there was no brawl between DC and Jones, would that fight have hit 750k in pay-per-view buys? Impossible to know. Probably not, but it would have been good regardless. Who do you believe is the better fighter, Gustafson or Johnson? I believe that Gustafson is, but I wonder... I'm willing to believe I'm not giving Johnson his proper due. And I think this is a perfect fight because it will tell us... You know, listen, blowing Noguera out doesn't tell us hardly anything. Sorry, it just doesn't. And beating Phil Davis was impressive because it was thorough, but there's still lots of questions left about the totality of his game right now um, and how long he can go for 25 minutes. So we've seen him go 25 minutes, but I mean against someone like Gustafson, who stays busy. So if you have a lot of belief in Rumble and you say I'm wrong, that's fine. You may, you may totally be right. I, I don't know. But I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, he's, he's 100% back. You know, he looks great. But he, to me, beating Noguera, I just don't put a lot of stock in that win. I do put a lot of stock in the Davis win, but it's just one win. Someone says, Bones, great fight IQ, very low life IQ. I won't argue with that. I won't argue with that. The guy wants to be a young man who did all the things other young men do. Doesn't work that way, John. You want a bunch of things that are available that, that won't allow you to do that. And you got to make a choice about what's important. Overeem Nelson. Ah, good question. This got kind of buried last night. What do you make of this matchup? Seems that although Nelson is a limited fighter, he has one great asset, asset knockout power. Coincides nicely with Overeem's great weakness, namely his inability to withstand punishment. Yeah, I read it the same way. Now, there's a bit of a difference here. Nelson's takedown defense is not great. To me, that might be that might be a great way to go about things for Overeem, because you know Mir was able to consistently out wrestle Nelson. Uh, I don't know why Overeem would be any different, except if he gasses. But to your point, if they stand there and trade, listen. Verdum chewed up Roy Nelson in the clinch, but he didn't. You know, okay, so Hunt knocked him out. Listen, Nelson can be stopped, but the point being is it's hard to do it. It's very hard to do it. Moreover. Nelson can land a big shot, as we know, at virtually any point in the fight, but maybe that wrestling deficiency is the thing that we really pay attention to. I think that might be the thing that is his undoing, eventually. Fight Pass Evolution. Can you see them putting in a boxing library? Is it possible? Would that not be the evolution of Fight Pass encompassing all of combat sports? I don't know. It's a great question. So, like, as you guys remember, they announced the news about Fight Pass. They added a bunch of libraries to it, like Pancrase and King of the Cage and Hook and Shoot. And I think it was a total of seven or eight different libraries, which is fine because, you know, um, I, mean, I mean, it's it's good for fight fans. It's good for betters to have all those things on there, assuming you can search the database, which is still an issue. But in theory, these are good things. But to me, it just doesn't solve the fight pass problem. Again, I, I mentioned before, someone asked me, like, so a year in or however long it's been, how do you feel about fight pass? And my answer was, I, I like fight pass. Like, when I get on, I now, I use the Google Chromecast um, plugin, and 
it works great. I'm able to watch it on my TV and without much delay for the most part, and it's pretty crisp and there's not much lag at all. And um, when the library works, it works well. I'm able to go back and pretty easily see things, and I don't mind paying for this service. I don't mind paying for things when it's just such a better thing than trying to pirate stuff. I, I you know, I don't want to pirate stuff, and I don't anymore. But like, you know, I've definitely done it in the past. Again, who I heard, you know, a lot of MMA fans have pirated stuff. It's just a fact. But I like to pay for work. I like to pay artists for their work. I like to pay organizations for the things they put together. I, they should be compensated for that. It's theirs, you know. Um, but that's not the issue with Fight Pass. The issue is when I turn it off, it's like it's gone. I don't even think about it, you know. And I wish there was something to get me to like open it up all the time. I wish there was like a news portal there. I wish there was like live programming on there. And I know there is in terms of like Invicta, but I mean like different stuff. You know, I wish Fight Pass were like an all-encompassing universe. And right now, it's just it's it's not that. So it's not a bad service by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's again. They need to solve a few more issues in terms of search functionality, but it's good. It's a, it's a good service, but it's just an afterthought. And if you want to get to the front burner, it has to be fundamentally different. All right, let's go to Twitter for the last couple of questions here. Um, do you think John and team should relinquish the title and take time away? No, I don't think he should give up his title because he failed for something out of competition. I don't care about that. Now, if it comes back where he has failed in competition, y'all, all bets are off. If you want to hammer him after that, I have zero problem with that. If you fail in competition for Coke, man, you got some serious problems. Guys have lost, li boxers have lost licenses that way, you know, especially for multiple uh, offensives. Um, that's a big problem. It's a big problem. So if he fails in competition, the whole conversation changes. But based on what we know right now, no, I don't think you should. Do you view every athlete who completes objectively, or does the public persona influence how you view them? It rarely affects me. Rarely. And I try to never let it do it. Like, Tiger Woods sucks uh, as a person. But I'll try to, I mean, and he actually kind of sucks as a golfer now. But there was a moment in time where I definitely want to see him compete. Guys, like, this is a real simple way to look at it. It's not that I want to, like, not care that got people are bad people. Like, I don't want to surround my, my, myself with bad people, but getting good at something in this life, anything, Rubik's Cubes, fist fighting, golf, computer programming, writing, writing, how about writing? It's hard to get good at it. It's hard. And, and when you find someone who's really good at something, and then it also happens to be something that's a spectator sport for entertainment. I just don't see the point, up to a point, about hemming and hawing about their personal flaws. I just don't get it. I don't get such a waste of your effing time. To me, it makes much more sense to, like, again, at some point, things become inexcusable, um, but, you know, or lamentable. But when it interferes with how you watch their product, the fault is you, it's not them. Uh, any response to the low testosterone to epitestosterone levels? So, Jones, if you know, tested 0.29 to 1. Um, great question. Something I was thinking about. Haven't even had a chance to look into it yet. Definitely something that should be looked into. I don't know what it means, but I know it's caught my attention. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't know what it means, 
I've tried to focus on just the different legalities and drug issues involved here. I haven't had two seconds to look into it, but I will. How are his coaches letting him do this and not adjusting his regime or philosophy? Maybe they don't know much about it, or maybe after this fact, they are. Let's see what happens. Um, someone says the, the, the audio is messed up again. Um, I have an independent recording, so I'll upload that independent recording to the podcast in case you want to catch up on anything we missed here. All right, so I think, let me see if there's any more I can quickly answer. Okay, I got to go. But here's what I would say. I want to thank everyone for watching. I really appreciate it. I'll upload the independent recording so you can use that. Remember, if Jones tests positive for the in-competition stuff, the debate changes. If he's got a real addiction, the debate changes. Still lots of questions, I think, for the UFC to answer. Still lots of questions for the NSAC to answer. Nick Diaz was right from day one. You can email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. You can tweet me at SBN Luke Thomas. Until next time, thank you for watching. Stay frosty.